Hey, welcome to the Dad of a Dozen podcast. I'm so glad that you're with me today. I'm your host, Doug H. In the last episode, we discussed God's part and our part when it comes to our possessions. And what we've learned from that episode was that God, he's the owner of everything. He owns all the possessions, all of our possessions. He owns them. And he's also in control of all circumstances. And he also, we found in the Bible, that he will meet our needs when we seek and we trust him. And then our part on our finances is just to be a good steward of everything he's given us. Basically, just a manager of those items that he has given to us. We need just to be good stewards and taking good care of everything that he's given to us. And But as I promised the last episode, this episode is going to be on debt. And I'm looking forward to talking about debt because it's really prevalent in our society today. There's a lots of people that are in debt. And like I said, I want to give you some pointers on how to get out of debt, what it is. And is this something that the Bible talks about, about being in debt? Is it something that is a good thing, a bad thing? What does God say about it? Because remember, we're to live our lives according to God's plan and not man's plan. And obviously God's plans are different than man's plans. So with that being said, let's begin. And I just want to talk about what is debt, the definition of debt, and also give you some examples of what debt is. Because you may not understand what debt is. Some people have a different view of debt than others. But let me just give you the definition of debt. And the definition is, it's money or property which one person is obligated to pay to another. Okay, that's the definition. You are obligated to pay somebody money or property. That's the definition of debt. And here's some examples of debt. Credit cards. Most of us have credit cards, and a credit card becomes a debt when it's not paid off monthly. Obviously, if you're paying it off monthly, you don't have any debt. But if you have any form of payment that's due on one, for instance, if you have a $100 visa bill that comes due, but you only put $25 down on it this month, then you owe still $75 plus interest. That would be considered debt that you owe. So there's one of them, credit cards. Then the second one is loans. You have student loans. You have car payments. All those are considered debt. And then any money, this is one that probably you probably haven't thought about, but any money that you borrowed from family. So if Aunt Sally gave you a thousand bucks, guess what? You're obligated to pay that back to her. That's considered a debt, especially if you guys haven't made the arrangement to pay it back. And she says, you go to her and say, hey, can I borrow a thousand bucks because I need it to to maybe pay my rent. And she says, sure, here you go. Here's your, here's your thousand dollars. And she gives you a check for a thousand bucks. That just isn't your money. You owe her that back. So that would be considered a debt or grandma gives you money. You still owe her. You need to pay her, pay her back that as well. And that is considered debt. Now, how about your home mortgage? You, you consider that debt? Some people say it's good debt because your house usually appreciates in value, but you still owe money on it. So technically, it's good. You're building your credit. 
and you've getting you're getting uh, some you're getting assets, you're getting appreciation, so you can pull money from it and and maybe buy something or have home improvements or whatever. But it's still a debt. You still owe that money to somebody. And most people have home mortgages, and because we don't have we don't carry around in our our bank account four hundred and fifty thousand dollars, so we can pay cash for a home. We just don't we just don't have that available to us. So home mortgage is a debt, but it could be good debt because it appreciates in value. And then another form of debt would be any bills that are overdue, such as a PUD or gas or garbage, sewer, anything like that. Any bills that are overdue are considered debt. So with that being said, that's debt. Those are some of the examples. And so how was debt viewed in the Old Testament? Because remember, the Bible's broken up into two different, two different sections. You have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament. So how was debt viewed in the Old Testament? And do you know that the, it was considered a curse and it was a sign of disobedience? And the reason I say that is because in Deuteronomy 28, it's a long chapter, but in Deuteronomy 28, it describes all the blessings that the children of Israel would receive and all the curses that they would receive for disobeying God. And one of the blessings was that the Lord would make the children of Israel the head and not the tail. And what he means by that is that the people would come to them for money. They would lend to the surrounding people their money, and they would get interest from them, and they would be the head and not the tail. That means they would be in the lead. But if they disobeyed and they sinned and there's disobedience to God— one of the curses was that they will lend to you, these other nations will lend to you, the children of Israel, but you shall not lend to them, and he shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. So in essence, they were going to be servant to those other nations that were around them. And God didn't want that. God wanted them to be their source. He wanted to bless them. And when they disobeyed and they didn't do what God said, then they were the ones that were being servant to those nations. And that's not how God wanted it to be. And you know, God wants you, wants to be your source as well. And he wants you to be obedient to his word. And he wants to bless you. He wants to give you blessings. But because of sin in our lives, we don't get his blessings because we sin. And it's a disobe being disobedient, that's a curse. And so debt was viewed as a curse and a sign of disobedience in the Old Testament. And so with that being said, let's go to the next question. Is debt ever encouraged in Scripture? And I think you can come up with that answer. No. No, it never was. We are being disobedient to God's word when we are in debt. Why? Because in Romans 13, 8, it says, Owe no man anything except to love one another. We are to owe no man anything but except for love. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rule the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. So what that is telling us is that now we're going to be slaves to that credit card company or that mortgage company. And we don't want to, we don't want to be a slave to them. We want to be a slave to the Lord because 
In 1 Corinthians 7.23, it says, You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. And when we're in debt, we're now slaves to that credit card company, or like I said, the mortgage company, rather than Christ. Because you're going to have to spend more time at work to obtain the money to pay back that which you agreed to pay back or you're obligated to pay back. Because when you use your credit card at the store, you slide that card with a promise that you're going to pay that, that money back for that item. Or when you sign on the dotted line for that $450,000 mortgage, you are saying that I am going to pay back that money. Okay, and you're going to have to spend more time at work to pay it off. If you want to pay it off early, which I would suggest that you do for a home mortgage, you pay it off as soon as you can rather than the 30 years because 30 years is a long time and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But anyway, also you're going to have to spend time thinking about the debt rather than thinking about the things of God. So what happens is our heart isn't focused in on God anymore. Our heart is focused in on that debt of who we owe. And that's not, Scripture does not encourage us to go into debt. And you, as a Christian, should not look to get into debt. Like I said, the only debt that you might possibly have to get into, well, you will have to get into, would be a home, a home mortgage. Because like I said, we don't have that money just sitting around in the bank. You're going to have to go and, and get a mortgage if you want that home. Or you're going to have to save a lot of money and then eventually pay it in cash, which is probably not going to happen. But debt was never encouraged in Scripture. We are to owe no man anything except to love one another. And we're not to be slaves to a credit card company. We're to be slaves to God because we were bought at a price. Remember that. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. We belong to him now. And we need to live our lives according to his plans and not our own plans. And you can't do that when you're in debt. And we're being disobedient when we are. So is it wrong for Christians not to pay back their loans? I'm pretty sure you can figure that one out for yourself. But what does the Bible say about it? Psalm 37:21 says, The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. So when you don't repay your loans, you're wicked. And guess what? A Christian, we're not to be wicked because we have Christ and we are holy and we need to live lives that are holy and well-pleasing unto the Lord and we don't do that when we don't pay back our loans. And Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Here's an example. So you, have, you owe 250 bucks in your credit card. Just say you have a $250. You went out for Christmas and you spent money and you owe 250 to your credit card company. And you have $1,000 in your savings account. But you're only going to make the minimum payments. Why would you do that? If you have money in your savings account, why would you not take the 250 and pay off your credit card bill? Because right here, Proverbs says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. You have the power to pay off that credit card bill. Why aren't you doing it? That's just a, a little example. So if you want to be considered wicked, then don't pay back your loans. But if you're a Christian, you're, obviously you're not wicked and you don't want to be wicked, so we're going to pay our back our loans as soon as possible when we have the money to do so. And this would lead me to the next question about, okay, okay, Doug, what about bankruptcy? You know, I've, I'm just way over my head 
in bills and I just I just can't seem to get out of these bills and I think I need to file for bankruptcy because in that way all my problems will go away well not really do you understand what bankruptcy is bankruptcy is when the government allows you to get out of debt and then you don't have to pay back certain loans there's certain loans that you still are obligated to pay back but most of your other loans your credit cards maybe your mortgage those types of of loans are wiped away you no longer have to pay on them but bankruptcy for a Christian should be the last resort Christians should never look to bankruptcy to get them out of the predicament of overspending and spending more than you make and there should be there's only a couple reasons that you should be that you should even be tempted to file for bankruptcy and one of them would be if you're forced into it by the creditor you have no choice you're way over your head and the creditor says you know we've given you every opportunity to pay this back and you haven't paid it back in a reasonable amount of time we are going to force you into bankruptcy because they want their money then you have no choice and then two is that your emotional health is at risk if you all you're doing is thinking about you're not eating you're sick and your health is at risk well then and bankruptcy is going to help you then that's what you would do you'd have to file for bankruptcy obviously to get your mental health back but even though that you've here's what I'm going to put a twist on this for you because I believe it's scriptural even though you have legally been forgiven that debt via the government we are called to a higher authority and that authority is God and his standards. Remember, Psalm 37:21 says, The wicked borrows and does not repay. So how do we still make good on our commitment to pay back that loan or those loans that were wiped away? So here's what you do. You go ahead and write down how much you were forgiven. Okay? And then you pay it back to a ministry that's doing the Lord's work. And then what you'll do is you'll add that new amount to your budget and then you'll slowly pay it back. That's one way of being, making good on that loan, even though it's been forgiven. Because remember, we're Christians now. We have God as our authority and we want to make it right with God. But remember, God's not an accountant. He's not up in heaven with his little pen marking it down, making sure you pay back every penny. He's looking at your heart and he knows you're trying to honor him by paying back those debts. So he's not going to hold it against you if you don't pay back every last dime of it. He's looking at your heart and he's saying, okay, this guy or this gal, he's trying or she's trying to do what is right. And I'm not going to hold this against him. I'm going to bless him in what little he's paid back. And if you're able to pay it all back, that's even great and wonderful. But bankruptcy should be a last resort for a Christian for anyone for that matter, but especially for a Christian, we shouldn't be going into bankruptcy. Okay. So what is the, what does the Bible say about cosigning? This is another one that is a, a big topic for people cosigning. And first let me explain what that means as well. Cosigning is you are signing a loan with another person and you are guaranteeing the payment. And you've heard about this, a lot of parents and some grandparents do this for their, their children or their grandchildren, especially for their first car. A lot of the kids don't have enough money or they don't have credit, good enough credit, to buy the vehicle. And so what they do is they go in, they wanting to have this nice car, and in order to purchase it, 
they're going to need someone with good credit. So what did the kid usually do? They go to mom and dad and they say, hey, mom, dad, I don't have the money for the car. I can make good on the payments, but they won't give me the loan unless you sign for it with me. That is what co-signing is. You're putting up your money. If they don't make the payments, you're stuck for it. So what does the Bible say about co-signing? Proverbs 17, 18 says, A man devoid of understanding shakes hands in a pledge and becomes surety for his friend. So if you sign a note and you're a co-signer, you are devoid of understanding. We should never take on someone else's debt, ever. Ever. Proverbs 22, 26 through 20 says, Do not be one of those who shakes hands in a pledge, one of those who is surety for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? If you don't have the money yourself, or they don't have the money themselves to buy that car, or that house, or the college, <laughs> don't go into this. Don't sign for someone else's debt. The, the scripture is very clear about this. Very clear. And don't do it. It's a no option. There are no options for a Christian when it comes to co-signing. They should not do it because you are now, you are not to re, be responsible for someone else's debt. And you are that way if you co-sign for it. And if you have done it, then you need to get out of it as soon as you can. Do whatever you can to get out from under that debt because you're legally responsible if that person does not pay the bill. Even if the person dies and stills owe mo owes money on something, guess what? You're still stuck with it. Unless somewhere in the contract it's written that if this person passes away, you're not liable for it, then they get the property back and, and whatnot. But co-signing is not an option, folks, especially if you're a Christian. I know I've already said it because it's important. Don't do it. If the person is trying to buy a car or get into college on their own and they can't get in on their own, then they're going to have to wait. They're going to have to get a, a better paying job. They're going to have to put aside money to save for it for themselves. But no way should you be guilted into co-signing for a child or a grandchild. Never. Never should be. Ever. So co-signing, no, no, no. Here's a little story that I had. My daughter, my old, our oldest daughter, went in to buy a, a vehicle, a brand new car, and uh, she could make the payment, so she would have to go into debt to get it for a short period of time. And she went in to get the loan, and the guy at the, the dealership, he said, okay, we're going to put your paperwork in, but if for some reason you don't get it on your own, your parents are here and they can co-sign for you. <laughs> my daughter looked at my wife and I, and she, we just started laughing. And she looked back at the, the guy at the dealership, and she says, no, that's not an option. That will not happen. We are not, I am not going to have them co-sign for my car. If I can't do the, get it on my own, well, then I guess I don't need the car. But yeah, it's not happening. No co-signing. I'm not going to be someone, I'm not going to be responsible for someone else's debt because here's some consequences to co-signing. Just a couple. One, your relationship could be damaged because the one party did not uphold their end of the bargain. So you co-sign for little Johnny, okay? He has every, he wants to pay everything back on this car that he's going to be buying. He goes, yes, dad, I can do this. I'm making this amount of money and I'm going to do this. Well, little Johnny says, you know what? I forgot to pay my bill. And then little Johnny says, well, you know, I don't, I didn't quite get enough money from my paycheck. So 
Hey, I'm just not going to pay for it. And then two months go by, three months go by. And guess what? You find out about it. You're not going to be too happy with your, with your kid, are you? Your relationship is going to be kind of on the rocks a little bit. The same way if, if your grandmother or grandpa, grandma or grandpa buy or your co-signer, you don't make the payment. I'm telling you, your relationship with them is going to be severed. It's going to be damaged for a little while. And two, possibly your credit can be ruined, especially if the individual misses some payments because it's as if you missed the payments. It goes against your credit record. And sometimes by the time you find out that they've been missing payments, it's three, four, five months later, and then you finally get this letter or a phone call saying, hey, um, you're defaulted on a, a loan. And you're going, whoa, whoa, wait a second. What are you talking about? So then your credit could be ruined or hurt because someone didn't make a payment on it. So those are just a couple of consequences. Again, co-signing is a bad deal. Bible says so in Proverbs. Don't do it and get out of it if you are. Okay? And now you're saying, okay, Doug, this is, this is great, wonderful, good stuff from the Bible. But you know what? I have all this debt how in the world am I ever going to get out of it? I just don't ever see a way of getting out of it. So here's, a nine, here's nine steps. I'll go kind of slow over it so that way if you're taking notes, you can write them down and you can apply them to your life. First one, obviously, is to pray. We need to ask God for the guidance and assistance with this debt. He's the first and foremost. We need to go to him first. So we're going to pray about it. Two, you're going to establish a written budget. And this is used to tell your money where it should go. Because you are in control of your money. And most folks have no idea on where their money's going. And a budget will help you with that. And it's going to make you accountable for every penny. Because you're going to sit there and you're going to say, you know, yeah, I spend, I, I spend about 20 bucks a, a week on coffee. Well, if you were to write down everything that you spent for the whole month, you'd be surprised how much money you spent. And then that 20 bucks that you thought you're spending on coffee is really 75 bucks a month or whatever it is. I'm just making this up off my head because usually we spend more than what we say we spend. So write, have a, a written budget. And like I said, we've been living off of a budget in our home for 28 years. And by living off of a budget, all of our cares are put away because we know we have the money in the bank to make all of our payments from insurance to our house to whatever comes up that we use on our credit card. We know we have the money because it's in our budget. We've budgeted it. Okay? So that's the second thing. The third thing is list your assets. And an asset is everything that you own because you might need to sell something. To reduce that debt you might have to you might have two three cars you might have to sell one or two of them to get the cash so you can pay off that debt because remember we're not to owe anybody anything you got yourself into a mess and you may have to sell some things to reduce that debt you may have to sell some of your personal items not just a car but you might sell a desk or a table or something in your home that you don't use anymore so list out your assets so that way you know what you own number four List your liabilities, everything you owe. And this will give you a better understanding of who you owe and how much. Did you know that most people have no idea how much they owe? It's pretty sad, huh? 
I've talked to people. I've counseled people. And I said, so how much do you owe on such and such? Um, I think I owe, I don't know, about 12000 Well, then when, they really, when you really get down into it and dig into it, they owe more like fifteen to 18000 So they always, they don't know how much they owe. It's always lower than what they really owe because they don't want to feel bad. They don't want to, they don't want you to think that they're just not good money handlers, but obviously are, they are because they're in, they're in debt. But anyway, write down everything you owe. So if you owe visa mortgage, just write them all down. So that way you have it on a piece of paper and then you can make a plan to start paying these off. And that's number five, establish a repayment schedule. So you figure out which debt you're going to pay off first. Usually you pay off the smaller ones first and then you continue on until they are all paid off. You can use this, this thing called the snowball effect. How that works is that if you have, say you have two debts, I'm just going to make it simple. You have two debts and one's a thousand and one's 2000 and you're making payments on the 1000 every month, whatever that happens to be. Okay, woohoo, we paid off the $1,000 debt. Now what you are paying on that $1,000 debt, you add to the $2,000 debt, and then before you know it, you've paid that $2,000 debt off a lot faster and a lot sooner than you thought possible because you're taking that money from the one debt and adding it to the second one, in essence, the snowball effect. Okay, so establish a, a repayment schedule. Number six, consider earning additional income. You may have to work a second or a third job to pay off all those debts. I know you don't want to because you're already putting in 40 hours at one job, but you may just have to go get a part-time gig to pay off some of this debt because you got yourself in the mess. You're going to have to get yourself out of it, and you got to do whatever you can to get out of that debt. Number seven, accumulate no new debt. This is real important. Do not go further into debt. So instead of what you need to start doing is using cash or a debit card for your purchases. And here's another funny story. My, my wife was helping my sister one time get on a budget. And so they had, they had her all set up for a budget. And my sister looked at her and said, you know, um, this will work assuming that I'm not going to use my credit card anymore. But my sister didn't quite understand the process that when you get on to a budget, there is no new debt, absolutely no new debt. Because if you go into this and you say, here's my budget, but you still get into debt, you've defeated the entire purpose. So step seven is important. No new debt. If you don't have the money to buy this object, you can't buy it because you don't have the money to do it. It's that simple. It's that simple. So accumulate no new debt. Step eight is consider a radical change in your lifestyle. And what I mean by that is you might have to downsize your house. So instead of purchasing the house, you may have to sell your house and rent. Okay. You may have to sell a, a, a high valued vehicle and you might have to buy a cheaper one. So you might have to get rid of your BMW, your Acura, and you might have to go with a Ford. Ford Escort, Ford Escape, something that's smaller, something that's more economical and one that's cheaper. You may have to, here's, here's a stretch. You might have to cut that cable bill. You might have to stop the internet and you might have to stop going out to eat as often as you do. 
and you may have to get a, a cell phone plan that's cheaper. There's a lot of cell phone plans out there that are for 35 bucks a month for six gig of memory or whatever it is that data. There you go. Six giga of data. I mean, come on. How much do you need for your phone? I have a $35 cell phone plan, 35 bucks every month. I know there's some people out there that pay 50, 60, 70, maybe even a hundred bucks a month for a cell phone. Really? Come on. You may have to cut that down and get one on these, these cheaper phone plans. Because remember, you're in debt. You owe somebody else. You shouldn't be living this lifestyle until that debt's paid for. And then number nine, it says, don't give up. Continue on your journey. Proverbs 21.5 says, the plans of the diligent lead to plenty. So make a plan to get out of debt and stick to it, and you'll be out of it before you know it. But continue to trust the Lord to guide you in this area. I'm telling you, you have to turn to the Lord in order for you to, for him to help you in this area. This is very important that you turn this over to the Lord and get into his word. So that way you can see the scriptures for yourself and then you can apply them to your lives. So that way he can get you back on track. And again, this isn't going to happen overnight. Okay, it's not going to happen overnight. Like I've said before, this isn't a get-rich-quick scheme. It's steady plotting. It's over a long period of time. Think of it like weight loss. Your weight that you have on you didn't come upon you overnight. It took you months, if not years, of eating poorly. And so it's going to take you some time to get out of debt. It's the same with debt. It's going to take you, well, for, for starters, it's going to take you a while to get that weight off that you've put on. It's going to take some exercise. It's going to take some sweat and determination. And the same thing with your debt. It didn't happen overnight. It's over a long period of time that you were spending poorly. You're buying things that you could not afford. And so the same thing is what you're going to have to go steady plotting. You're going to have to start small and continue with it. Don't ever give up. Continue on your journey until you are completely out of debt. And it will get there one day. And then the day that you get there, oh, how sweet that's going to be for you, knowing that you have nobody else to pay and that the monies that you have, you can put aside for an emergencies. You'll have money to give to your local church, to charities. Oh, it's a beautiful day when you're out of debt. It's a beautiful day, especially if you've been in above your head with debt. So those are the nine steps to getting out of debt. But before, before I wrap this up, I also want to talk to you about Crown Financial has a Crown Money Map. It's beautiful. They have seven different destinations on your money map, and it's called The Road to True Financial Freedom. And remember, think of this Road to True Financial Freedom, this Crown Money Map. Think of if you're traveling in a car, you're driving somewhere for a vacation. You usually have on your phones now, you have GPS and it shows you where you're going, right? Well, I'm old school. I like to actually have a paper copy of a map in my hand so I can see where I'm going and I can map out where I want to go and it's going to show me where I'm leading. Well, this is the same for your, your finances, for your money. It's going to be a roadmap to get you from point A to point B, which is true financial freedom. That's the goal here is to be truly financially free. No debt, money in the bank, your retirement's all set, and then you can live a joyous life, a relaxed, stress-free life. So the first destination on this money map is emergency savings. And in this step, the first one is to create a spending plan. And all that means is 
a budget. You need to set up a budget so you're telling your money where it's going to go rather than your money telling you where it's going. It puts you back in control of your finances when you're on a budget. So you're going to start a, a plan. And how you're going to start that plan is you're going to take three by five cards for one month. And every single day, you're going to have, you're going to write down on these cards every single day what you spend your money on. So for instance, you go to work and you buy yourself a mocha for four fifty from one of those coffee shops. You're going to write four fifty mocha. And then next you go to lunch and you buy yourself a McDonald's lunch for seven fifty. You put seven fifty McDonald's lunch. Oh wait, I went to the vending machine and I spent fifty cents on a um, on a pop. Fifty cents pop. When you get home that same night, you pay the PUD bill. 150 bucks. You put 150 PUD. And then you keep track of that for 30 days or 31 days, whatever, wherever you started at. And then you, f you put them in different categories and then you can see actually how much money you're spending. Because again, most people don't know how much they spend. So, but when you get on a budget, you know what you're spending because your budget is telling you where you're spending all your money at. So that's the first thing you're going to create this budget, this spending plan. And then next, you're going to save $1,000 for emergencies. You're going to put $1,000 into a savings account, not your checking account, because if you put in your checking account, you're going to be more likely to spend it. And you're going to say, wow, I have this extra money in my checking account. Pfft, I can go buy that or I can go to this movie. Or I can go to dinner. But no, put the 1000 bucks into a savings account. Because remember, 58% of Americans don't even have 1000 bucks in their savings account. 58% of Americans, and I hope you're not one of those 58% of Americans, and that's the reason I want to bring this up again, because I want you guys to have money in your savings account for emergencies, and that's what this step one is all about. So step one, create a budget and a spending plan, and then save $1,000 for emergencies. That's step one. Next week, next podcast, I'll talk about uh, destination number two, and then we'll we'll go from there all the way through to number seven. But if you want me to email you these steps, these nine steps, and if you want a copy of this crown money map, please just go ahead and send me an email to dad of a dozen kids at gmail.com. That's dad of a dozen kids at gmail.com. I'd be more than happy to send you these, these nine steps and a copy of this money map. So that way you can keep a copy of it. So you can have a, a roadmap for your finances. Okay, well, that's uh, pretty much all I got for today. I appreciate you taking the time to listen, and I hope that you will come back to listen next week uh, when we talk about counsel. We're going to talk about counsel. So where do we go for counsel? What is counsel? Hey, come back next week, and you'll find out where that's at. So I'm going to leave you with this quote from, from Will Rogers. Too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like. May the Lord bless you and keep you till we meet again.